Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm Dan Burke and I'm joined today by Alex Mott. Hello. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. Uh, now we haven't done one of these for a while and we probably won't do one for a little while afterwards, to be honest, but we did have a, a special request from a listener who I'll, I'll, uh, I'll reveal the name later, uh, who, who wanted us to do a special season wrap-up podcast. So I thought, you know what? Why the hell not? Why the hell not? Um, my first question for you two before we get stuck into the main topics is how are we feeling now that the season is over? I'll tell you how I'm feeling. Knackered. Yeah, I was going to say absolutely shattered. It's been, um, I think with the World Cup in the middle as well, it's been uh, obviously been a unique season and yeah, I'm just uh, need a bit of a break before the uh, Women's World Cup in a few weeks time, I think. <laughs> how about you, Joel? A bit of relief maybe after how things went for Liverpool this year that it's over? Yeah, it's been long and grueling and I feel knackered for, for dissimilar reasons to yourself, Dan. But yeah, you know, we, we just think about get told that something's happened this season like uh, I don't know September and October be like no that happened like three years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's, going on, what's going on here so yeah I'm just going to over yeah, have a bit yeah. of my spice <laughs> Premier League fixtures out tomorrow though so there's uh, there's no rest for the wicked really <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Leave us alone. <laughs> I know, I know. I think I think I need a year off. In fact, I think maybe I'm just sort of done with football. Actually, I think I've seen, seen all I needed to see for it right now. Oh, you've completed it, mate. That's Indeed, so completed it. Yeah. Which brings us nicely onto the Champions League final. Manchester City champions of Europe for the first time in the club's history after a uh, a tense, tight one nil victory over Inter in the final on Saturday night. Uh, Alex, was it a tighter game than you thought it'd be? Because a lot of people were expecting a bit of a whitewash for City here, but it didn't pan out like that at all. Yeah, I mean, you just said tense and tight. I think I'd say shite as a <laughs> uh, as a neutral. Um, it wasn't the best game in the world, was it? It was, uh, yeah, it was a lot tighter than I thought it was going to be, to be honest. Although, yeah, I certainly wasn't at Gareth Bale levels of thinking it was going to be uh, 5-0 to Man City. Yeah, but, um, yeah that, well, I th- and I think a lot of that is down to just how nervy Man City were, to be honest. Mm. It really, I mean, obviously you were there in the stadium, Dan, so you can give us a bit more of an idea, but... They just look so off it. Like I just, I can picture now Rodri like a few stray passes, which he just never does. A lot of bad touches from people. I don't know. You could really tell that the occasion got to them. And a part, a lot of that was to do with how well Inter were doing defensively as well. They really, they really shut City down at times. But um, yeah. It wasn't a great game, but I guess uh, the right result for you anyway, Dan. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I was in Istanbul. I was I was interviewing a few fans uh, during the day before the game, and there was one uh, woman that I interviewed who was a City fan. I was like, how are you feeling? She was like, oh, pretty confident, but a bit nervous now. I did predict 4-0 initially, but I'm going to go with 3-0 now. I was like, <laughs> that's you being nervous, is it? We're going to win 3-0, yeah. bloody hell. And then some Inter fan that I interviewed was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be 1-1. And I was like, penalty shootout? He was like, yes. And I was like, Inter win? And he was like, no, City win. I was like, why would, why would that be your prediction that your team would lose on penalties? Like, what what a doomsday scenario that is. But uh, yeah, I was going to ask you, Joel, actually, was it a good game? Because to me in the stadium, it was it was pulsating, it was tense. I mean, I was like, I just had a knot in my stomach for the whole game. I know some mates who've watched the game back. I never want to see that game again in my life. I just like, get that trophy lifted, let's get the fuck out of here kind of thing for me, really. What do you reckon, Joel? Well, finals tend to be... I mean, to use Alex's word, they do tend to be shite because they are, you know, nerve wracking and, and, and teams don't really, teams do their business in, in like the sort of quarters and semi finals where, where they show their quality and, and, and show why they get to the final. But the finals themselves are usually, you know, you don't tend to get many goals in, in, in them. And, and like, I think it's, it's the last four Champions League finals now have been just been 1 0. I yeah. think that might, might be incorrect, but uh, no, that's I'm right. Sure I saw that's that. right. Yeah. And, 
but but yeah, I, I think the first the first half was was terrible, and um, like I mean, I mean, I think credit to Inter for that first half because I think they stopped um, City playing. But um, I, you know, it wasn't a great spectacle for for the neutral. But I, I do think the second half really really uh, picked up. I, I mean, from from the sort of very first couple of minutes, I think it's that's when Akanji makes that mistake to put Latour mm. Martinez through, and then suddenly it feels a bit more chaotic, and he, and he suddenly. It's like the players then realise, oh, oh shit, we've got forty-five minutes to win the Champions League there, and, and I think you actually do get to see good bits from both sides then, and, and I actually thought it would become a bit more possession after Rodri scores because I, I, you know, after that, you know, I was I was good to go to City to win the Champions League. <laughs> so after that, I, I, I was predicting Tuesday scenario where City could want to win this two or three nil, but that seems to sort of spur Inter on, and, and then they make it very difficult for City to play and. Um, and, and in the end, maybe deserves to get a goal. He has some good chances, but Romelu Lukaku was his best defender on the day. Everton <laughs> makes some brilliant saves, and I, I don't. I, I did like the second half. That the first half was awful, but I think you know, uh, you know, the second half, you, you know, it was it was a bit more enjoyable. But finals tend to be terrible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's funny you say about Lukaku. I saw like a, a graphic that someone had made on social media yesterday where it was like the this team will be remembered forever and it was like, you know, a lineup graphic and it was like City had twelve players on the pitch and R- Lukaku in the heart of the defence <laughs> <laughs> alongside the players who did actually play for City. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, he didn't have his best night. Like yeah, I mean Inter were, were good, they were better than I thought they would be. Um, you know, I thought perhaps City should have gone one up one nil up when Haaland had that chance in the first half, but they weren't playing themselves. You know, I was, when that moment, when Akanji left it for Edison that you mentioned, I thought my head was going to fall off at that point. I felt so <laughs> awful, like all the way through it, pretty much until they scored. And then even worse after they scored in, in a way. And uh, yeah, Inter really should have scored, shouldn't they, Alex? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Lukaku's going to be thinking about uh, that the header in particular for a long time, isn't he? He's just, um, yeah, I, but I do think it was a bit of, a strange idea to start Jeko. I mean, I know he played well in the in the semi final, but yeah, he was completely anonymous in the fifty five minutes that he that he played. So at least Lukaku sort of brought defenders towards him and opened up a bit more space. They certainly had more more chances when when he came onto the pitch. But um, yeah, it was more of a more of a bad finish than a good save from Edison that header. And then I guess yeah, the header right at the end as well. That was a that was a that was a great save from Edison. So yeah. yeah, they were they were unlucky. And so I thought as as a whole defensive unit, I thought they were pretty good. I was really impressed with Anana. I thought DeMarco did pretty well um, down the left hand side. Yeah, they they certainly uh, frustrated Man City. But yeah, it was the right result in the end. Mm. I tell you what, if that game had gone to penalties, I don't think I'd be here today. I would have killed over <laughs> at some point. I just that's how that's how bad I felt. Yeah, Rod- Rodri getting the the decisive goal in the end. I think he said himself afterwards that he was shit on the night, and he he, he really was. <laughs> He had probably the worst game he's had for a long time for City, but he's been magnificent the last couple of seasons now, Joel. Does this goal, perhaps, I mean, I think there's an element of him perhaps not having the greatest amount of competition for this at the moment, but is he the best defensive midfielder, number six in the world for you at the moment? I think so. I think it's fair to say that. Um, I end up doing a you know, Champions League end of the season awards piece for for the one football site after the um, after the game, and uh, I'd give him player of the season. I, I think he won the official player of the season as well, didn't he? Uh, of the Champions League, and and rightly so because you know he, he provides that sort of the big moments against Real Madrid, um, Bayern Munich. You know, scores absolute pelter as well, mm. and obviously scores one in the final. And this is him doing not not necessarily his job and scoring the goals, but in terms of you know doing what he actually does. I mean. 
you know, we, Alex alluded to there, but the straight passes in the in the first half, it's 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 so rare that he has to bring it up where you do see him misplace the ball. And he's just um, he's immaculate on the ball and just the size of him as well. And, and you think that he wouldn't be particularly quick. And okay, he's not sort of completely rapid, but he can get around the pitch, can't he? And you know, he's good at sort of when you think of like number sixes back, maybe I don't know, five six years ago, you're thinking of a player who can sit in that position and, and pull the strings and then clean up any bits and bobs. But he can start attacks and drive forward as well. And um, the most depressing thing about him is that you know I looked at his age the other day because I thought he's he's been around for years. So I'm thinking. You know, surely he's like 28, 29 now. You look at him, he's like 26. You're like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> like, he's, he's just not going anywhere, is he? He's, he's brilliant. And, and, and you know what? Yeah, he's. I think he is, you know, the best number six in the world right now. He could just be the best midfielder in the world right now. Yeah. Wait. Dan, you've said there's not much competition for best defensive midfielder, but I think John Stones is probably up there. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's been, I mean, and that, that probably says everything about Guardiola obviously Stones as well but how well Guardiola has done in just making players better I mean who mm. at the start of the season would have said that John Stones would be one of the best defensive midfielders in the world um, <laughs> yeah it's just a testament for just how much of a genius he I is don't, I don't even know if you'd call him a defensive midfielder he plays like number eight for, yeah, for, for the right, most part yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean we, we call him the Barnsley Beckenbauer I think that's starting to sound a bit fr- <laughs> flattering to Beckenbauer to be honest yeah. <laughs> But uh, going back to Roger for a moment, I did a, an interview with uh, Gold.com out of the ground after the game. And, it, you know, to watch the video, you probably think I'd had about 10 pints. I'd not had a single beer all day. I was just elated, euphoric, whatever you want to call it. And they asked me about Rodri. And I said, he's better than Yaya Torre. And I read some of the comments and a few people were like, this guy's a fucking idiot. And to be fair, I am an idiot. But Alex, is there something in that? Is he better than Yaya Torre? I, was- I mean, they... Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, I think they're probably similar levels. They're obviously playing slightly different positions, but I think Rodri has been amazing this season. And not just this season, he's been amazing for the past couple of seasons. Um, I'm not. I'm thinking of that one year where Yaya, scored, Yaya Torre scored about 22 Premier League goals. Yeah. And I don't think Rodri's reached quite those heights yet. That's true, but, yeah. um, but yeah, I, th- I mean, one more season of playing like he has this this season, Rodri, and yeah, he's certainly uh, certainly going to be up there, I think. Yeah. Now the big question: Manchester City winning the treble this year, of course. A lot of people talking about how big of an achievement that is. Obviously, they've spent an awful lot of money. Obviously, they have these Premier League charges hanging over them. But where does this put City in terms of the best club sides ever for you, Joel? Are they are they right up there at the top, or is it? You know, perhaps not a, not as big an achievement as Manchester United in nineteen ninety nine, for example, or Pep Guardiola's Barcelona. What do you reckon? I don't know because I, I think the whole discussion of, of best of club sides is a little bit, you know, futile and pointless personally because I, I don't think you can ever sort of determine it. You know, you can get down into numbers and say, oh, this team scored more goals or this team is better to watch. But even that's sort of a subjective view. Um, I, I think so. Uh, so I mean, personally, I, I would I always think Guardiola's Barcelona side has been the best ever club side, especially since sort of I've been watching football. And I don't think any team has come come close to that then. And, and I don't think the City team has personally, but that's not to say obviously they're not a brilliant side. But I actually find it a, a bit funny with this City side that they've, they've gone on to win the treble in a way because I you know, was looking at them in, in November and, and maybe even a bit later, maybe even after the World Cup and, and thinking this isn't this isn't a very good City oh, side. Oh, we were crap we? in February. <laughs> Yeah, and, and then uh, the last game for the World Cup, you lose to Brentford at home, don't you? And it, it's the Spurs game, the Spurs defeat. Is that after the World Cup? That was like 2nd of February, that, yeah. 
and I'm, I remember thinking that day, Arsenal in the league here. Like, yeah. City, City don't have it. Like, this, this is just one of those seasons where City just are missing a few parts. And it's testament to Guardiola and, and to, to the rest of the team that they've managed to to pull that back and go on and achieve something in, in football, which is just remarkable and that makes them immortal. And they, they've kind of done it by, you know, I'm not going to say stumbled upon a system because obviously Guardiola's, you know, uh, done some sort of magic and training and he, he's moved things around and he's found this this weird asymmetric system which has worked for them. But it's, I don't think it's something that we're going to see for the next two, three seasons from City. It's, it's worked for the lads he's got there now and for the players he's got there. And obviously you lose Cancelo and you've lost two left-backs with Sinchenko going this summer. So there's, there's gaps in the squad. And he sort of put it all together and, and made it work for the players he's got available to him. And then... So you're thinking, okay, maybe that's the type of team that might go and win the league, but not going to win a treble. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think this city team is as good as you know the one that gets 100 points, and you know maybe even the the, the one who wins the see, uh, wins the league uh, after that as well, uh, the se- uh, two seasons after. So, mm-hmm. which is really bizarre to say because obviously they don't achieve as much. But just looking at the players they've got, how they play the football, I, I don't think they're as good as that team. But they're just relentless of getting results aren't they I, yeah. well, I, I, w- I would say in counter to what Joel has just said there if we're judging a team if we're judging a team's greatness and how good they are at their absolute peak I think the first half of that second leg against Real Madrid is probably the single best 45 minutes I've seen from a club side maybe ever I really can't remember a team playing that well um, so yeah, that, that might be a slight counter to what Giles said there, mm. but yeah, uh, probably yeah, their best performance under Guardiola actually. So counter, yeah. I mean, they were they were remarkable, weren't they? Like, yeah, they were. Never amazing. seen Real get choked like that. Just mm. couldn't get out, could they? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how, how do you feel? You, you're watching this team, and obviously they're going to win the treble, but you can compare better than, than ourselves. <laughs> where from the teams that you've seen win leagues over the past couple of years. Uh, it is hard to say, really, yeah, because, you know, we're going to come on to it a little bit later, but the league was made quite easy for us this year in the way that it hasn't been when Liverpool have been, you know, chasing us in, in recent years, for example. The 100-point season was really good, but United were nowhere near them that year, so that made things a little easier. I think just the combination of achievements, the fact that they're only the second team ever to win the English team ever to win the treble um, makes a big difference. But personally, I don't care whether they're the best club side ever. I don't think you can really measure it. Um, and for me, they're the best city side ever, the, the best city side I, I will ever watch. And I kind of feel now, you know, this might change by the time August rolls around, but I kind of feel like I don't really care what happens anymore. Like, I don't care if we never win another trophy again. I've seen it now, really. Like, that's yeah. it. Like, I've ticked that box and it's like, okay, whatever happens, great. You know, if these uh, Premier League charges, if if they come home to roost and, uh, you know, City get relegated or whatever, like, fine. Okay, but then I'm sure come the first day of the season, I'll be, I'll be raring to go again, but... <laughs> yeah, it's a, a great way to to round off a very long and tiring and uh, eventful season. Let's have a little look back at some other talking points from the uh, from the Premier League season now uh, when when that ended. So you know, Arsenal, as we said, they um, they slipped up at the end. There was a bit of a debate towards the end of the season about whether or not Arsenal bottled it. Did they bottle it for you, Joel? It's it's hard to say. I I, I try and sort of refrain from saying teams battled there against this Man City machine because obviously Liverpool, my team, have been sort of in that position a few times and taken them to the last day and we've had Liverpool didn't bottle it in this way though, did they? Let's No. It's not the same. Like you can't get you can't get ninety seven points and bottle it. (laughs) 
No, no. And, and the thing is, you're sort of taking Arsenal from the context of how they started the season, where I think any Arsenal fan would say getting top forwards, I mean, priority and, and would be an achievement. And they, they have had a successful season when it comes to that. But you, you do put yourself in a position where you are leading the title race. And you know, it was eight points they were ahead in the end. Okay, City might have had a few games in hand on that. I'm not sure you can say they're completely eight points ahead. Mm. But I, I think if you look at those three results that happened, uh, the Liverpool draw, the West Ham draw, and the Southampton draw, I, I think you could say they, they just didn't have the the front and the nose to go on and win the title from that stage. And I, and I think you can say the pressure affected them. It got to them. Um, that you know they, they got that that far. And this is where he sort of say. They just didn't have the sort of ah, the, the cajonas as uh, trading say, to, <laughs> to, to get over the line. I, I'd say they didn't have the the title win experience, but they have Zinchenko and Jesus in that team. So, so they, you have the lads in there who know how to get over the line. So, I, th- I think you can say that the, you know, the temperature got to them. And, and I don't. I think you'll have a look at the, the Liverpool draw, for example. Um, you know, two two Anfield on a bad result from the away side, but. That first half, they were two 0 ahead, and they could have been four or five. And the the, the crowd sort of gets roused as well. And it's a cliche to think back to the Granite Jack and Alexander Arnold moments where they, you know the piss their home crowd off, and suddenly they're on the backs. I think that really affected them. And I think once they've gone, you know, lost that two 0 lead, and then they go two 0 ahead against West Ham the next game, don't they? And, mm. and suddenly it feels like you know West Ham get one, and you just see them go. Shit's happening again, I and mean, then you just—I th- I think they just completely lose it mentally, and and all you know, I think it's a, it's a roundabout way to say, you know, I don't want to say bottle, but I guess he did give it away, didn't he? Mm. Yeah, I, I think they bottled it, but I think it's a forgivable bottling just for the reasons that you said, really. You know, it was a bit uncharted territory for them. They were up against a relentless team towards the end of the season who who chased them down and who have a striker who scored 36 goals in the Premier League this year and have that experience of winning the title and, of course, have gone on to win the treble. I guess the big question, Alex, is will Arsenal come back next season or is was this a flash in the pan? Um, I think if they can recruit well, then they're going to be top four again next season. I think, I I don't think teams like Liverpool or Tottenham will be as bad as they were this season. I think they had a real opening this year, especially with how badly City started. And yeah, I don't know if there's a slight semantic difference between a bottle and a choke, but I think <laughs> Arsenal was slightly choked rather than bottled. But I don't think that's going to be the case next season with a lot of teams. So yeah, I do think they might have missed a slight opportunity this time around. I think I know we're going to get onto transfers later on, but I think Rice is a really good addition to their team. Saliba's new contract is, and they missed him a lot, didn't they, when he got injured? Mm. Um, so I do think they'll finish top four next season. I think they'll be a better team for having gone through what they did this time this season. But yeah, like I said, I don't think the other big clubs are going to be as bad as they were this season. So yeah, yeah I, just, I just I can see them finishing top four, but nothing else really. What do you reckon, Joel? Will Liverpool challenge next season? Will Man United challenge for the title, maybe? I, I don't think Liverpool will. Um, I know a lot of people sort of think that they, you know, they've had a bad season and they'll be able to click back into gear. But um, I think we Liverpool have, have, have dropped uh, many levels and I think it's going to take uh, a while to build that back up. I mean, 
you know, we'll go on to transfer, like you said, a bit later on and, and talk about the, the gaps missing in that squad. But I, I think it's also the mentality of the team has, has been affected by this season. And I, I don't think it's that's something they've got to build back up. And I, I do think they will eventually. But I think next season, he's got to focus on getting back into the top four and, and going from there. And as for United, I, I don't believe the, the hype of them at all. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think they will challenge. I don't think they'll get anywhere near it. Um, they relied a lot on Casemiro this year, who I think, you know, when he was available, he, makes, he you know got banned for like twenty odd games. Um, but when he's available, they, you know, they do look, you know, a better team. But I wonder how long he's got left in his legs. Um, obviously, they're going to do business this summer, but I just don't think they've, you know, I don't think they're a very mature football club uh, just yet. I think that will affect them. So I do sort of kind of run out of options to say who's going to challenge City <laughs> all the way next season and. You know, Chelsea under Pochettino and, and having the money they have do scare me a little bit. And I, I just wonder, I don't, I don't think they'll have as bad a season next season. Maybe it's too much to say they'll go straight back up to the top. But I think we're going to be looking, sitting near the end of next season, going, OK, Chelsea look like they might be able to challenge the next two or three years. So maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I'm, from a City perspective, would say that I think City are probably going to have a drop-off next season. And I kind of think that every year. But I think this year, you know, they've won three in a row. No one's ever done four in a row. They've won the treble. There's going to be players leaving this summer. Gundogan, Bernardo Silva might be off. I've heard rumours about one or two others. So there's going to be a bit of a shake-up at City this summer. And that can sometimes take a little bit of time to, you know, get yourself on on the right path again. So... It wouldn't surprise me if City didn't win the league last year or uh, next season or started quite badly, but um, it also wouldn't surprise me a huge amount if they just went on, a, on another massive run and won the league again. But uh, yeah, you mentioned Chelsea there. They've uh, they've obviously had a terrible season um, in 2022-23. They have addressed that by hiring Maurizio Pochettino as their manager. Is he the right man to get them their project on track, do you think, Alex? Um, I don't know if there's any man that can get that project back on track, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um, I like Pochettino. I really, I loved what he did at Tottenham. Um, I'm surprised they didn't go back in for him, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I just, I just really don't see how it works. I think, although having said that, I'm about to contradict my own point here. I did see earlier, was it this month, maybe end of last month, Todd Bowley has said he's going to take a step back. Um, from day to day management, I wonder if that ideally right things. out the door and back to America <laughs> yeah. would be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder if that will help things a little bit. Um, I, yeah, I do think the sort of pressure that was put on Graham Potter and Frank Lampard at the end of the season wasn't helped by him. Um, I think the whole contract situation this season was just a mess. Giving players eight years, seven year contracts is mm. just fried their brains a little bit and uh, is going to be a good addition but i just yeah i just don't see it i i I'll, you know i'd love to be proven wrong but i just i really don't see it and i think if if there was one candidate that was on the market that could have potentially turned them turn things around immediately i'd have gone with nagelsman um i think he has a bit of charisma although i guess that charisma got him into a bit of trouble at Bayern towards the end <laughs> but um yeah i think he he would have been the one for me but um yeah i i will be in a very interested party watching chelsea at the start of next season that's for sure <laughs> yeah and a, another new club we've got a new manager is tottenham and Postacoglu taking over there a bit of a left field appointment you might say um although he's you know not exactly a, a complete randomer uh, as he did a, a good job at celtic is he going to be a good uh, appointment for them do you think joel 
It's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting one. And I think they they tried it because the last, you know, you know, two, three managers they've gone for, you know, in Conte and Mourinho, they've gone for instant success and you know, complete total guaranteed winners and it's and it's not worked out, has it? So they, you know, they have gone left field, they, you know, go for someone who's, you know, any other experience in Australia, you know, Scotland, Japan, you know, just, you know, you know, not, not to be completely rude, but like obviously not completely the height of, you know, football countries, mm. um, especially Scotland. But uh, no, um, <laughs> his Celtic team, you know, were really good to watch when we did catch them the last two seasons. And I actually, you know, uh, liked them in the Champions League. I thought, you know, they played Rail off the park in the first uh, game, for the, sorry, the first half of their group game, and then Rail eventually do, do win quite comfortably. But, you know, they've proven that he can sort of work with players who are, you know, you know, a decent, but obviously at the highest quality, and you know, he's turned them to, into to good quality players. And you know, he's going to be working with better players at Tottenham. Whether he's going to, you know, command his respect, I don't know. But I, I, you know, his personality does come across as someone who's. You know, can sort of tap into players' mindsets and, and get them working, and, and it's, I think they'll have a bit more of an interesting season than than this like, last season gone. And you know, that I think Spurs fans will be open that they'll be able to get behind a team that plays decent football, and, and then you can believe in. And you know, I don't think it's going to be a, something that turns them into you know top four challenges and win, win a trophy next season. But I think that they'll be you know if they end up getting top six next season and they've had a good season playing good fussy, I think top of fans will be very happy and. I, I, you know, I'll be, you know, looking forward to watching them play from the first day uh, next season. <laughs> yeah, I think I think for me with Spurs, he feels like a a good bloke, Postecoglou. Yeah, you yeah. know, and they, they had Conte that. before who didn't you know really want to be there, did he? Really, or, or almost thought the club was a bit beneath him. It seemed like, and I feel like this is a big opportunity for for Ange, and I think he'll he'll want to grab it with both hands. And I think they need that to galvanise them. Would you agree with that, Alex? That's exactly what I was about to say, Dan. Yeah, I just, like I just felt with Conte and Mourinho, they. They both perceived themselves to be above Spurs and that they were doing the club a favour by yeah. being there. Um, and that just doesn't seem like it's the case with Postacoglu. He, It's what he has been working towards is a Premier League job like this. I think he's going to get he'll get it like he did with Celtic. A good example that I'm thinking of from this season is Tottenham played Sheffield United in the FA Cup. Was it the quarterfinals, maybe the fifth round? Um, and they put out a reserve side and they lost 1-0. Mm. And Tottenham just won a bit of success, don't they? Yeah. But if they can get, if they finish eighth next season, but win the FA Cup or win a League Cup, that is a successful season for them. Whereas that wasn't the case under the last two managers. They were top four, top four, top four, top four, which obviously is a big achievement in itself. But I just think Postacoglu just gets it a little bit more. So I think, yeah, yeah that's, it might not be, yeah, it might not, be the sort of I don't know it might not get them top four like we just said but I do think it'll be interesting being a Spurs fan next season Indeed and the perhaps the most interesting aspect of the final few games of the Premier League season was the uh, was the relegation battle Everton eventually prevailed from that on the last day uh, I know that Joel wasn't pleased for Everton staying up because I watched the game with him he was gutted but um, <laughs> were, you, were you pleased that they pulled off that great escape in the end Alex and, and kept that uh, top flight record alive yeah, I am pleased. I, Everton are a proper team, aren't they? They're a proper <laughs> football club. I, I think, yeah, the Premier League wouldn't be the same without them. Although, I, on be the better. other hand, there, <laughs> yeah, I would say that things desperately do need to change at Everton. And maybe in the long run, 
relegation might have been better for them. Probably Everton fans don't agree with that, but I do think they need a bit of a hard reset and maybe that would have been what they needed. But yeah, they're in the Premier League next season. Yeah, I like potentially Goodison Park. The last season that been in the Premier League, that's a good thing. So yeah, they're always interesting, aren't they? They're always a story. They're never they're never boring the table. So. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and well, it was Southampton, Leicester, and Leeds who went down in the end. Uh, taking the Everton factor out of it for a moment, Joel. Any sadness from you uh, that, that those three went down at all? I I, I do think Leeds sort of. Uh, I think the Premier League benefits from Leeds being in the top flight, to be honest, because, you know, it's a, it's a loud stadium. And, you know, you do always think when a, when a big team goes there, like, you know, Liverpool, Arsenal, City, United, you, you think uh, there could be a potentially be a, be a shock there. And, uh, and one of those big teams might slip up because of the, the way the fans sort of get on the players' backs. But um, obviously, it didn't happen last season at all. I think Leeds were terrible. But I do, I do think I'm going to miss as a as a stadium in the Premier League. But, I mean, as for Leicester, I just I still wake up and I'm just surprised that Leicester are actually going to be playing in the Championship next season. I, I can't yeah. quite... Like, I, I even in March, when, you know, they were down there, I was, thinking, I, I was like, I, I couldn't believe it. Like, I just, like, just, I just seem to have lost track that Leicester were, were, were shite this season. And I, I don't think it was until they got beat by Fulham and Fulham put five past them. Um, I think that's sort of nearly sort of towards the end of April. I was just like, okay... They actually could go down here, and uh, I, I, I just—it's really bizarre. The team that you know won the league was was that seven, eight years ago now, and won the FA Cup two, three years ago, and they're actually going to be playing down there. And I, I just—that's an absolutely remarkable source of downfall. Yeah. So I missed them, but. That's a Southampton. They can get fucked, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, they re- they really deserve to go down this year, didn't they? They were, they were really, really poor, oh, unfortunately. <laughs> well, those three have been replaced in the Premier League by uh, Burnley, a back, Sheffield United, a back, and Luton Town for the first time ever in the Premier League. What was it, 1992? They were last in the top flight, I think it was. Yes. Um, how are those three going to get on next season, do you reckon, Alex? Um, yeah, that's... It's going to be very interesting. I mean, obviously, we've seen Sheffield United and Burnley recently in, in the Premier League, but Burnley are very different now. They've got Vincent Company. They're playing some genuinely some of the best football in the country, which is in a sort of 12-month turnaround from Sean Dyche is, yeah, very, very impressive. So, yeah, whether they can keep that up is, yeah, going to be interesting to watch. Sheffield United, I, I probably wouldn't hold out much hope for them, to be honest. Maybe I'll be proved wrong, I think. They finished seventh in their last, when they came up last time. Oh, eight. the Chris Wilder, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, something crazy. So I don't know if they'll repeat that. But yeah, obviously the big story is Luton. Yeah, it was an incredibly tense playoff win against Coventry. Seeing clubs at uh, Kenilworth Road next season is going to be uh, very, very interesting. But they've got some, yeah, they've got some really good players. Um, yeah, I like Joe, Joe Taylor as a young player in attack who's really good. Dan Potts is a really good defender. Yeah, they've, they need to add a lot of quality to that team if they're going to stay up. But yeah, they're going to be, again, they're going to be really, really interesting to watch. And it's always good to have different clubs in the Premier League, isn't it? Um, yeah. Your usual yo-yo team. So, yeah. Looking forward to seeing them. Before we move on from the Premier League, can you guys remember any particularly bad takes that you had when we did our pre-season predictions last summer? I can remember two in particular that I probably shouldn't admit to and will probably never live down. <laughs> One was that I thought Brentford would go down. I thought they would have second yeah. season syndrome and... Yeah. That didn't happen. And the other one was that I thought Jesse Lingard would be the um, Premier League player of the year. (laughs) 
<laughs> that is a bad one. I think I predicted Chelsea to win the league. I mean, that's quite... Or maybe not win the league, certainly be in, uh, in contention. So that was really bad. Yeah. I think I predicted Spurs to finish seconds. Um, oh, I think uh, I went for that as well, good. actually. Uh, yeah, I uh, definitely definitely t- t- challenge for the title and Arsenal to finish outside the top four. So, yeah, yeah that's not come round very well, has it? Well, predictions have made a fool of many people, and we'll, uh, and we'll continue <laughs> yeah. to do so. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, cast our eye over some of uh, Europe's other big leagues. Now, we'll start with La Liga. Uh, Barcelona, they reclaimed the title quite comfortably um, ahead of Real Madrid uh, this season. How do you think they build on that next season, Joel? Do you think they're going to you know, be challenging for the title again? I think the Champions League is the one that they're going to be looking at after not doing particularly well in it this season. Is that something that's in their wheelhouse next season? I don't think so, you know. and I, I think this is a really weird summer for, for Barcelona and then... Um, you know, if, if sort of taking last summer into context, where the, the you know the Paulie's financial levers and and put the club into a bit of finance, you know, a bit of jeopardy in the future for for a shot at a success uh, this season, where you know they, they'd win the league, but I think they were trying to go as far as the quarterfinals of the Champions League. I think they budgeted for that and they get knocked down the group stage again. Um, so I think they, they go for it last season, and you know, obviously it is successful because they do win the league. For the first time in a long while, but it leaves him in a situation this summer where you just like, what what do they do? You know, how how much money can they spend? How can they improve on this squad? And you know, when looking at the team, and there's obviously you know good bits and pieces, uh, so uh, you know in you know midfield and, and, and attack, and, and obviously they had the best defense in the league last season. So there is something to work with, but in terms of dressing, they're losing Busquets and Alba, which will, I think will have a, mm. an impact. And I'm looking at the leaders they have in there now, apart from. To Stegen, I'm not quite sure who steps up to fill fill that role, and you, you do. I know we're going to talk about a bit more, bit more detail in a bit, but you're looking at what Real Madrid are doing in the transfer market and what they could end up doing in the transfer market. I just think no team's got a chance there. So I, I think there's something for Barca to work on, and I think they've got you know got some really exciting youngsters, and and, and I think you know there, there is something there. But in terms of Going far in the Champions League, I just, I just don't see it. And I, and I think if they manage to sort of get out of the group stage and have a shot at getting into the quarterfinals, I think they, they have to take that as success, which is mm. not really what Barcelona are built for. But, but also, you know, they're not going to be playing at the camp now. Um, oh yeah, that's true. I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah. yeah, might end up being a, a little quirk that might work against them. To be honest, mm. yeah, we'll, we'll talk uh, about. Sorry, Dan. I would say on Barcelona that they are building from a very strong base in that they were probably at times the best defensive team in Europe last season. Um, oh, yeah. Ter Stegen was brilliant. Um, Araujo in central defence was brilliant. Balde at left-back was really good. And Sufati is probably going to come back from injury for next season. So For 10 minutes, and- yeah. For 10 minutes, yeah. And I, I do actually wonder if not getting Messi might be the best thing that happens to them. I was going to ask it you means, that. Yeah, I was going to ask yeah, you if you thought it, that would be a good it, thing or a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, I do. And I think they can, it means if they do it sensibly, which isn't a given, they can actually invest that money properly in a bit of backup for Lewandowski and then potentially another midfielder. So, yeah, so green shoots there for Barcelona. Um, although, yeah, I think what Real Madrid are doing is, yeah, head and shoulders above them at the moment, to be honest, in the transfer market. Mm, yeah, we'll talk about Real Madrid shortly. Let's talk uh, yeah. Bundesliga first. Bayern winning the title again for the 11th successive season. Dortmund just had to beat Mines on the last day of the season. <laughs> it was surely happening and somehow they fucked it up. Did they blow the best chance they're ever going to have, Alex? 
or the yeah, best chance well, for a we, while, at least. We, we talked about bottling it earlier with Arsenal. Anyone that watched the <laughs> Dortmund game will, will really know what bottling is. That was, uh, yeah, it was almost sort of sad to see, really. As a complete neutral, it was shocking how badly that they just didn't turn up. And I think, yeah, did they blow their best chance? I think they probably did. I mean, Bayern are very rarely below 9 out of 10 in the league. So when they're consistently seven, six or seven out of ten, you you as a good team really need to pounce. And Dortmund were great at times, but they just, yeah, they completely blew it on that final day. And yeah, I wonder if the, those scars will run quite deep, to be honest. I, I, yeah, I wonder if they can finish even second next season. They've lost Bellingham. Yeah, that's, there's going to be quite a severe trauma from that last day. So yeah, I can see buying doing 12 in a row and winning it quite comfortably next season, yeah. unfortunately. Do you think Dortmund have a problem, Joel, that they're kind of stuck in this cycle a little bit where they're kind of reliant on getting Bellingham, for example, for cheap or getting Haaland for cheap, building them up, selling them on. Like eventually that sort of well is going to run dry, isn't it? And you're not going to be able to get these superstars and turn them into, or you're not going to be able to get these young players and turn them into superstars because they just don't exist anymore or they're not available. And, you know, I'm thinking who they're going to replace Bellingham with, for example. I, it's, it's been their model, hasn't it? And it's worked on, you know, a sort of, you know, financial blueprint. I mean, they managed to survive very well by, by doing that. But you're right to suggest how how does that sort of lend itself to building a successful team and a consistent successful team? Because, you know, you know you're a manager there. And let's say you do manage to replace Bellingham this year with, you know, I don't know, some, you know, a 19 or 20 year old lad from. Uh, the Netherlands or Belgium, who's going to be the you know the next big thing? That guy's probably going to be there for two years, I and mean, he's going to probably move on. And he, and he sort of go again. We got to do you know a rebuild every two, three seasons. And I, I think Dortmund fans sort of know that is the case, but I just I, I don't get how they can ever consistently challenge by by Munich when it's when that is their model and this is how they sort of uh, you know sort of sort of pride themselves on, on doing so and it, and it does I do think it makes them attractive to young prospects from football because they do know that they can go to Dortmund they'll get game time and that Dortmund won't stand in their way in terms of you know moving on eventually so it, you know it does sort of say to a young player who maybe might have a choose between Dortmund and Man United like Bellingham did that you can go to Dortmund because you know mm. you, can, you can develop but in terms of having a look at, at being making it a successful football club, I, I don't think that model work, works. And um, sadly, I do. I agree completely with Alex. I, I think it's going to be a long time before they challenge again. They missed they miss their boats massively. Yeah. Just a quick word uh, on the best story from the Bundesliga season for me personally was Union Berlin getting in the Champions yes. League. What an amazing uh, yes. achievement that is for them. And uh, I'm sure every club in Europe will be hoping to draw them in the group stage because Bergheim away has a lot going for it, doesn't it? I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday night's rocking absolutely <laughs> and uh, in Italy Napoli of course won the Scudetto and for some reason their managers left after that I don't, I'm not sure what happened there uh, PSG they won the title they don't care about that do they Christi- Christophe Gaultier is on the way out there sounds like Gaultier is now going to Napoli as well which is pretty strange I mean what what is what is wrong with these clubs Alex yeah, well, Spalletti leaving, I believe, is because he fell out with De Laurentiis, the owner, which mm. uh, wouldn't be the first time that that's, that's happened at Napoli. Um, but yeah, I think Galtier is actually quite a good appointment. Um, yeah, I wouldn't judge any coach too harshly on PSG. It's a bit of a elephant's graveyard for top-class managers. Mm. So yeah, I think you just need to look at the... Uh, 
yeah the job he the jobs he did at Nice and Lille to to see what sort of manager he is. So I think and I, I think he played in Italy as well. He might have played a couple of seasons somewhere in Italy. So yeah, yeah I think he so I think he speaks a bit of Italian. So yeah, I actually think that's quite a sensible. Uh, Appointment from Napoli, so and if they can keep Osman and I'm not even going to pronounce it, the Georgian lad, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I can see them doing well again next season, despite uh, Kvarat Scalia. I, I eventually there learned how to say it. It took me all season, but I eventually got there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any thoughts on who PSG might get as their new coach, Joel? I mean, the talk is Nagelsmann, isn't it? Which mm. is yeah. um, which, which, to be honest, I, I think he'd be mad to, to go there at this stage because. You know, the, the issues he had at Bayern was sort of having an issue with, with a squad that sort of got big egos and and uh, sort of goes against sort of what he was trying to do. And I think if he goes to PSG, he's not going to you know, find a very harmonious dressing room, should we say. So mm. you know, I think he's better off, you know, sort of wasting hours and seeing what might come up in, in the Premier League or, I don't know, maybe top level Bundesliga uh, later on in the season. I, I don't see why he'd go there, but... Um, yeah, because it didn't really work with Pochettino and Tuchel in the end, did it? But I mean, yeah. maybe it did because he ended up getting good jobs after it. So maybe, maybe he's playing a long day, maybe playing 4D chess. Maybe yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> in two years' time, let's see. Yeah, and then yeah, when he doesn't win the Champions League, he'll get sacked, won't he? And that's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <sort of. laughs> Uh, before we move on from uh, the season now and, and start looking at some transfers, I just wondered if you guys had any personal highlights from the season that you wanted to share with the podcast. Oh, would you indulge me here, Dan? I've Go for written it. down three things. Oh, yeah. please, uh, tell us. Firstly, watching Oxford beat Forest Green Rovers in a bar in Ibiza to secure League One safety. Come yeah, on, the use. Season of very few highs, you really do have to take them <laughs> where you can. Uh, and then that brief moment in the World Cup group stage where Japan were beating Germany and Costa Rica were beating Spain. Oh. Or maybe it was the other way around, where both of where Japan and Costa Rica would both go through yeah. the last 16. It was just like pure football bliss for like 10 minutes. It was amazing. <laughs> um, and then Chelsea proving the Elon Musk rule that just because you have money, it doesn't mean you're <laughs> Uh, that was uh, they were my first favourites. <laughs> lovely stuff, lovely stuff. <laughs> John, yeah, I've got two. I think for Liverpool, one, you know, have a great season, um, but beating Man United seven 0 is something I will never ever forget. I'm <laughs> sure United fans will never ever forget either. Uh, <laughs> in the end, it doesn't end up working out because we end up finishing below them, but we've still got twatted. That's that, that sort of result that transcends like anything else, though, doesn't it? Really, like it's uh, it doesn't matter. You could get relegated. We won seven nil. It doesn't matter. Like yeah. <laughs> Just dead funny. Um, uh, a World Cup highlights, England getting knocked out. No, um, I would say World Cup <laughs> highlights, that Netherlands are see in the game in the, I think, quarterfinals. Quarterfinals, um, yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, just uh, the, the whole game as you know as a whole, but the, the free kick where in the last minute when, is it, is it Copper Myers who takes it and you think he's going to try and mm. bend it around the wall himself? He ends up just playing that cheeky through ball to... To Vego, so he glides. Just I remember just being like, oh, we watched that in my house, I think, didn't we? We were going mental, yeah. yeah. I think uh, there was no Dutch person in the house, but we were all celebrating and jumping around the house. So you know, that was just absolutely quality. You know, the World Cup final itself was was amazing, wasn't it? So, uh, so yeah, the World Cup ended up being a personal highlight, actually. Yeah, I forgot about the World Cup. Actually, I I just enjoyed Argentina winning it. To be honest, and Messi winning it. I, I think that in general. Yeah. And yeah, there's quite a few highlights for me. I suppose Ilkay Gundogan's volley after 12 seconds in the FA Cup final is probably up there as well. <laughs> Generally considered good news. Um, yeah, there's too many to mention. It was it was a, a great season, unforgettable season. 
And uh, yeah, but I'm glad the summer's here now and it's over. <laughs> yeah, let's talk some uh, summer transfers because the transfer window is officially open as of today and uh, there's quite a lot happening already. A few deals in the pipeline. First one, Jude Bellingham completing his move to Real Madrid today. A six-year contract for him there. What is it? 130-odd million euros it could go up to in the end. Uh, Real Madrid's record signing. Um, is that the right move for him, first of all, Alex, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, I'm of the belief that if you're a player and Real Madrid or Barcelona coming for you, you sort of have to say yes, really. And I think he's, I mean, I, I wrote a piece earlier just saying about he's got a lot of, he's well managed. He's got a good, like his, his mum and dad are very like close to him. His dad's part of the negotiating team for the deal and his mum lived with him in Dortmund. So he's clearly very well looked after, very well managed. He's got the right people in his ear, which, you know, isn't always the case with young footballers. You know, you could see that by his decision to go to Dortmund rather than Man United um, and I do think that those three years away from England in Germany will have definitely helped him and you know that move to Spain won't be quite as as difficult as it could have been so yeah I'm really excited about Bellingham I, I am of the belief that he's going to be the best midfielder in the world and I think mm-hmm. Real Madrid is a place where he can do that and semi out of the sort of Premier League spotlight which I think is a good thing so yeah great move all round really mm. I mean Joel as a Liverpool fan you must be still a bit gutted I guess that he didn't end up there after it looking like he would for, for such a long time yeah I mean absolutely I mean I, I don't think Liverpool would ever whoever really truly in the race I mean the report suggested so but I mean I don't think the money being touted was ever going to be something Liverpool were going to put air uh, going to pay but yeah, I agree totally with Alex. If if bars are around Jed come calling, you, you've got to go there. And, and I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes a year or two before we see him actually play regularly week in, week out because of the options they have um, already. I mean, uh, Modric might end up moving on this summer, but let's say he doesn't. Him and Cross, I think, will end up playing most of the game, big games anyway. And they've still got, you know, too many Camavinga, Valverde, there. So I think it's they're in a position where they can sort of alternate in and and, and give Bellingham the time to, to settle in. But, you know, in four or five seasons' time, the, the guy's going to be, you know, people will care. People listen to this, care about the Ballon d'Or. He's, he's probably going to end up winning it there, isn't he? And, you know, eventually. I can tell myself the story that I didn't want him anyway. Didn't really fancy him. <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting he's only nineteen. Actually, it's insane, that isn't yeah, it? It's really right. is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Karim Benzema has left Real Madrid after a, a very successful period there. I can't remember. Was it twelve years he was there or something? It's, yeah. Yeah, um, maybe longer than that. Long time. Sure. Won yeah. the lot. Scored an amazing amount of goals. Very incredible striker for them. Um, there's a big hole in the the front line for them, though. Alex, who are they going to replace him with? You think? Uh, well, I dare say his name really, but uh, Kylian Mbappe looks like the one. <laughs> yeah, uh, that started yesterday, so that's fun for everyone involved in football journalism. Uh, yeah, it looks <laughs> like Mbappe. I yeah, Harry Kane never. I never saw that getting off the ground. To be honest, they. I always suspected that Kane would want to stay in the Premier League and try and beat Shearer's goal goal records. So, yeah, Mbappe looks like the one. I'm, I'm guessing if PSG don't sell this summer, then and Real Madrid still need a striker. Colo Moani looks like probably the second best options mm-hmm. on the market, available for relatively cheap. Um, so, yeah, they're not going to be short of options, are they, Real Madrid? That's funny. Yeah. 
I just I kind of thought before the Mbappe stuff this week, which I've not even really sort of paid much attention to, to be quite honest with you. You guys might have to tell me actually what's going on there, but I kind of thought maybe they would go go for Kane, get him for a couple of years, and then Mbappe might be available two or three years down the line. Maybe that would make sense, but yeah, I don't know. I think that that makes more sense in terms of the way Real Madrid have been playing with a a striker the last few seasons, where you know Benzema sort of does drop deep and, and, and give space for Vinicius and uh, Rodrigo to move into. I think Kane is absolutely perfect for that sort of replacement and playing that role. And I think it actually makes the most sense for this summer for to, um, to, to go for Kane for that role. Yeah, I, I don't think Mbappe will end up moving. I think that'll end up being something that ends up happening next summer on, on a free. Um, so I think they should go for him. And I, and I think, I, I know he wants Shearer's record, but... You know, I think he's stupid if he doesn't go there as well. Yeah, he, yeah. Like we just said, Joe, if you don't, if you, you if Madrid or Barcelona come in for you, you sort of, you should say yeah. yes, really, shouldn't you? I think you'd regret it. You'd regret it if he doesn't. So, yeah. Give just to, trophies. And, yeah. And, and like, if he wins Shearer's record, I mean, I don't think he's going to be any more respected when he breaks Shearer's record than he is right now in England because everyone's going to look back at him and I think this guy was really good at sticking in the onion bag. Fair play to him. I think he should go to Real Madrid and experience a different, you know, country and, and give him a chance of actually winning, you know, you know, the league and Champions League. And uh, I think he shouldn't be making that happen. To be honest, I think Spurs yeah. should let him go and and rebuild him for, with the money there. But you know, Daniel Levy. I think it was <laughs> Michael Johnson, the sprinter, was asked whether he'd rather have the, the world record, hundred meters record, or a uh, gold medal, and he said. Nobody can ever take a gold medal away from me. That's it. Yeah, exactly. The record is always going to be broken. So, yeah, that's that was how I'd look at it. But yeah, we'll, I guess we'll see if Kane have the same opinion. Yeah, I wonder if maybe he's hoping. I mean, we don't know for sure that he wants to leave Spurs, but maybe he's hoping that maybe Man United will get taken over and come in for him, and then he can yeah. stay in the Premier League and have a crack at a trophy with them. He might win the Carabao Cup with them or something. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's a big trophy, that one. Pep keeps mentioning his four Carabao Cups and how proud he is of those, doesn't he? So he would know better than anyone. <laughs> Just a word on um, on Saudi Arabia. Benzema going there, Kante going there. Sounds like Riyad Mahrez might be off there as well. Obviously, they're paying obscene amount of money uh, to get these players over there, Alex. But is that a bit of a growing league or is it just a bit of a, you know, because there was a point when we talked about the Chinese Super League as a potentially growing yeah, league no, and that, that's died a death, hasn't it? So, I mean, it is obscene money, but I do think it's not a joke league. It's not like the Qatar Stars League or whatever, you know. It's, they. I was looking the other day, I think it's only Japan and South Korea that have had more Asian Champions League winners than the Saudi Arabian top division. So, I mean, look, Ronaldo's team didn't win the league this year, did they? So it's obviously not, you know, you can't just turn up there as a star player and, and walk it. So, yeah, I mean, the money, yeah, it's the prism through which you look at the league is obviously completely skewed because of how much they're paying people. But, yeah, it's not it's not a joke league, I don't think. But it's, yeah, the money is just absolutely obscene. It certainly is, yeah. And, uh, yeah, well, uh, one transfer where the money was not so obscene was uh, Alexis McAllister to Liverpool. What is it, 35 million, Joel? It's um, a decent signing, isn't it? A decent Bellingham alternative for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it could go up to 50 with add-ons or something like that. Um, I mean, to be honest, the state of Liverpool's midfield, I, I would probably say Graves soonest today. I want to be up there, so it's, it was good to get, get him in. Like, you know. the channel as well. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-season training, that. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, McAllister's one of them. He's been really impressive for Brighton for a couple of seasons, and um, the way he sort of stepped up for Argentina in the World Cup. He doesn't play the first game, and then he starts the second and keeps his place from from then on. And um, 
we, you know, we looked really good. I mean, I, I think Liverpool need to buy at least one more midfielder this summer, probably two more, to be honest. Um, but I think with McAllister, because he's so multifunctional, you could you, know, you could see him play as a you know, defensive midfielder, you know, eight or a ten, if you want to use those terms. Like, I, I think that allows Liverpool to then go, okay, we can we can see what else we can get, and, and McAllister's just fine dropping in whatever he wants to do. And yeah, it's it's good season. It's a good start for Liverpool in terms of getting him getting in. And I think you know, um, I think he'll end up being a success. Mm. Have you learnt the words to that chat GPT? McAllister chant yet? Because it's absolutely shite. <laughs> <laughs> not having that at all. Pete Bock in the mud, isn't he? Fucking hell. It's <laughs> <laughs> a long time coming. I <laughs> uh, you mentioned him earlier, Alex. Declan Rice uh, is not done yet, but it looks pretty certain that he's heading to Arsenal in a, well, it's going to be in excess of 100 million, I think they're going to spend on him. Yeah. A lot of money, but very good player, isn't he? Is he going to be the sign-in to keep them in in contention for the Premier League title and, you know, help them in the Champions League next season? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he is going to be the sole reason that they get they're in contention, but is he better than all of than the rest of their defensive midfielders at the moment? Yeah, he's going to improve their team. I think I, I'm not entirely sold on him being as good as everyone else thinks he is. Um, yeah, I'd, I don't know if he's 100 million, but if Arsenal are going to pay 100 million, then he's worth 100 million, I suppose. But um yeah, he's he's a really good player. He's you know he's an England national. He starts for England, so he's obviously got some quality. So yeah, he's he's going to improve their midfield. But I do think they need to improve elsewhere if they're going to properly challenge for the title. Where else do you think they do need to improve? Actually, I think they do need another. I'd have another goal scorer. I'm mm. not convinced about Gabriel Jesus. I think if you are going to win the league, especially with a Man City team that have got someone like Haaland, you need someone. He's going to be regularly scoring 20 goals a season and stay fit, crucially. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm not convinced about Ramsdale. I knew you were um, going to say that. <laughs> I'm not convinced about Ramsdale. I think <laughs> there are much better goalkeepers out there. I think we mentioned one earlier, Anana, who is available. I think he'd be a better, he'd be an upgrade. But um, yeah, that's, they'd be my two main positions for them. Yeah. I, I think next season, um, one of the stories that will come, is that everyone's going to realise that Ramsdale's got Pickford's arms. And uh, that was a major storyline to come from the Premier League. Well, here's the thing about Pickford. Everton fans absolutely rave about him. And I know they've not seen a great deal of good football in recent years. And, you know, it's uh, tallest dwarf competition and all that kind of thing. But would he be perhaps on the move this summer? And if you're, I don't know, Man United, they're in the market for a goalkeeper, aren't they? Would, would he make sense? Or is he not a good goalkeeper? I've never really been able to make my mind up on Pickford. Yeah, because he, I swing with Pickford because he's really good for England, mm-hmm. but then for Everton, uh, yeah, it's quite it's quite easy to look good as a goalkeeper in a bad team and Everton yeah. a bad team. It's a it's a completely different job being a goalkeeper at Man United at Man City. So I guess until he gets the opportunity, we can't say. But yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'd, if I was Man United, I wouldn't be going for Pickford over De Gea. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so tell me about this Mbappe stuff. Can either of you sum it up for me? Because I haven't been paying attention, like I, I said. Can, I can't I really can be arsed thinking about it, it but go on. <laughs> I was I was working yesterday, so let, let me try and think about what I'm going to say here. So it was reported on Monday that Mbappe, by several places, the Times, a few other places, that Mbappe had sent a letter to the PSG hierarchy saying that he wasn't going to extend his current deal, which ends next summer. Mbappe then released a statement on Tuesday saying that wasn't the case. The letter actually was sent last summer. 
Uh, <laughs> and the post in the I got lost in the post <laughs> in it or something. Yeah. <laughs> it was sent last summer, which then sent the rumor mill spinning again, saying that Real Madrid that that he was now pushing for a move to Real Madrid this summer. He then replied to a tweet from Le Parisien, which had said reported that story, saying lies. I'm happy at Paris Saint Germain, um, and I'm going to stay for next season. Basically, okay. so right. that's about as concise as I can make it. What that means, who knows? I personally wonder if it's just a ploy to get more money. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. But yeah, it's tedious in the extreme. It really is, isn't it? But uh, <laughs> is, there, is there any part of you that thinks he might end up at Liverpool, Joel? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> You've flirted with him in, in the past, though, haven't you? And he's sort of flirted with you a bit, but. Not you yeah, personally. It's, it's, I mean, it's sort of me trying to like slide into Margaret Robbie's DM. I don't think it's realistic. <laughs> Fair enough. We can dream. We can dream. <laughs> and finally, um, it was long-time listener David Aslan who uh, basically asked us if we'd be interested in doing a podcast. And I, I said we would because he made a prediction back in November that Messi would end up at Inter Miami. Um, and lo and behold, he was correct. So great uh, call on that, David. Well done. Um, are we are we happy to see him in MLS? I think I am, actually. I think I'm happier than I would have been if he'd gone to Saudi Arabia. I think that would have been a bit of a, a sad end to his career. And I don't really want to see him back at Barcelona. I think, like, he's kind of done that, and it's kind of boring to yeah. me that, he, you know, I don't support yeah. Barcelona, obviously. But I think, yeah, it seems kind of a natural end that he would end up in, in America. What do we think? Um, yeah, I'm quite pleased for him that he's going to live it up on Miami Beach. I'm just sad that they sacked Phil Neville before it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we could have a real meeting of minds. <laughs> <laughs> have some fucking respect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> All right, let's finish with a question that I don't normally like asking and don't normally care about the answer to, but I do think it is a little bit more interesting than usual this year. And not just because City have won the Champions League, but obviously, you know, Messi and Ronaldo have dominated the Ballon d'Or in recent years. Of course, Lewandowski won it a couple of years ago. But who deserves it this year, do we think? Is Messi going to get it purely because Argentina won the World Cup? You know, he didn't do an awful lot of club level this year. Is Erling Haaland going to get it for what he did? Personally, I don't think, despite his goals, that Haaland was that, sensational this year really uh, maybe that's me being greedy but I think there's a bit more to come what do we think I think sorry Jarg, uh, I think Messi will get it and it's as a sort of career achievement you know capping mm. off what was an amazing year I mean I don't think he was particularly impressive for PSG but yeah it was all about the World Cup but I think if we're actually talking about who was the best footballer on the planet this year I think it was Kevin De Bruyne um, yeah, I know that's sitting on the fence a little bit, but yeah, those yeah, they'd be my two answers. Joel, anyone else you would throw in? Um, I mean, I mean, I think I do agree wholeheartedly with Alex. I think Messi will end up winning it, and I don't think there can be too many complaints. I, I know I actually do think Haaland scoring the goals that he did and City winning the treble probably gives him a fair shout of, mm. of, of being in there. But so I mean, if he ends up winning it as well, I, I don't think that's disgraceful. But I, I think it's probably the right end to, to Messi's career. I don't think he'll end up being in the conversation again, obviously. Um, and I mean, after that, I think what's maybe a bit more interesting is that once Messi does win it this year, which he probably will, you're then looking from, from here on out to being, you know, you probably got three players up for it nearly every year then, in Haaland and Bappe, Vinicius, and then 
you know, Bellingham eventually is going to be in that conversation. So it gets mm. a bit more interesting. Yeah. Um, I know. Uh, yeah. So, I've, 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 yeah, I think that Messi will end up winning it, to be honest. Well, yeah, spoiler alert, but we do have our uh, annual Ballon de One football coming up in the app soon. And we've uh, we've submitted our votes for that one. I, I did pick Haaland as my number one for that, but um, I think Likewise. perhaps because of how crap he was in the Champions League final, I'm thinking about revising that <laughs> now. And the fact he didn't score for five games, the fucking fraud. Um, <laughs> and I went, for, I went for Vinicius as number two, and maybe that's a bit of recency bias because of how well he played against City in the semi-finals in the first leg in particular. And I went for Messi number three. So, yeah. I think I think Messi might win it. I think I think Messi first, Haaland second is probably a fair sort of compromise, really. But yeah, um, yeah. also, who really cares? Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, that will do us for this season of the One Football Podcast. Um, yeah, it was a it was a challenging season in many ways. We didn't produce quite as many podcasts toward the end as uh, towards the end as we were doing at the start. We're going to take a little break for the summer now, but we will be back and better than ever, hopefully, at the start of next season. So, thank you to everyone for listening over the course of the season. Have a great summer, and we'll see you in a few months. Thank you.